0: You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are once again diving into interactive mysteries. And this time, as we talk about The Simpsons' attempt at the form, we wanted to take a look at a flourishing scene in China with Jubensha, Also known as Script Murder Games, this roleplay heavy take on the Murder Mystery Dinner Party has stormed to prominence over the past few years. To talk with us on the subject, we're joined by Quinton Smith, or Quins of independent games journalism outlet People Make Games. Quins, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Welcome to Death
1: of the Reader. Reader? I am thrilled to be here. I am bad at murders, but I'm excited about learning new ways that humans come up to uh, do them and solve them. Yes.
0: So before we start, I wanted to talk about how wild it's been over the years, slowly realizing that many of my friends' favorite anecdotes about interactive hobbies can all be traced to you, Quins, with the no. likes of Pathologic, Blaseball, Shut Up and Sit Down and so on, all shaping the way my friends play games together. Why does the weird side of interactivity speak to you so much? Uh,
1: Because I get bored really easily. Um, (laughs) I'm not trying to take this to the darkest possible place straight away, but um, my childhood was quite lonely. And so I got really into games and, and sort of like fantasy and that was my safe space. And then like a kind of addict chasing a high, I just needed to find weirder and weirder stuff that I hadn't seen before. And then it turns out when you do that, you can turn it into a career of just getting really excited about, ooh, here's a cool, you know, Lithuanian company doing something. And then you <laughs> talk about it and people on the internet apparently like watching me do that. Uh, and so it's given me a career, which I feel very, very grateful for.
2: So we we have had literally decades of murder mystery dinner parties, which aren't quite as exciting as Lithuanian gaming development. <laughs> uh, but these <laughs> these parties, they seem on the surface... Similar to Jubensha, but what sets Jubensha apart from other iterations of the style?
1: Oh goodness gracious! Well, basically, um, murder mystery dinner parties—you I, I, two would know better than I would—but in like the West, in America, in Europe, probably in Australia, murder mystery dinner parties aren't considered like the height of game design, right? Is that fair to say? I very much so. Very much so. Reluctantly, well,
0: you can <laughs> sum it up in. One blunt A4 page of that the person reading it has never seen before they start reading the words stumble eight times through the script and eventually we get
1: there. Right, great. Um, so what Jubenshire is, is essentially, um, and what attracts me to the story is how little we know about what is in China now, just an absolute sensation. So a quote I heard while researching the story was that um, two generations ago, the Chinese sort of hobby of choice was karaoke, and today, for China's Gen Z, it's Jubenture. So there's somewhere in the region of probably 35,000 what are called Jubenture stores right now, which you can sort of think of like you and your buddies going to do an escape room, except where an escape room is you go into a room and then face away from each other to solve all these puzzles on the walls. In Jubenture, you arrive and read for, I'm not kidding, sometimes over an hour, um, some of these booklets can be really literary to find out about your character and their motivation and how they feel about the situation they're in. Perhaps you're, you know, um, Chinese detectives who are trying to solve a crime, but along the way you realise justice has been miscarried. You know, perhaps you're three generations in the same family and it seems like someone's cheating on their partner, but which of you could it be? Uh, there's also a murder <laughs> sometimes. Um, and after reading for about an hour, you then spend another six hours unpicking this um, this plot kind of like if you imagine for your for your listeners a you know like a murder mystery novel but that novel has been sliced up and a chunk of it has been given to six or seven people and then you have the opportunity to play out the novel over hours and hours and hours i guess one of the things that's really
0: weird about that is if i told my friends they had to show up to read a notebook for an hour before we played a 6 hour game they'd probably just not show up Are there ways you saw game designers improving the accessibility without sort of compromising on that depth that comes out of that really big setup?
1: Yeah, it's actually really straightforward because you just the first time you do Jubensha, you do a really short bit of reading. You read for like 10, 15 minutes, which is not really that much more than you know your sheet of A4 paper Mm -hmm. in a in an Australian um murder mystery (laughs) dinner party. And then after doing 15 minutes, you will have so much fun that you will come back and be like, I want to do a heavier one. You know, I wanna I wanna read for like thirty minutes, maybe this time, and then it just gradually you sort of sink into this like murderous bathwater until the water's actually fine. Um, the thing I'll point out as well is that something that Chinese roleplayers feel is wild about the way we roleplay in the West is that they look at Dungeons and Dragons and go that's demented like it's how many pages of rules you know so it's all really just about perspective and what you're used to
2: i guess there's a, a difference between coming to the event and reading for an hour then playing for three hours rather than reading for let's say 40 hours uh and then right. playing out a, a campaign over a however long a year maybe you know, that really extended period of time.
1: Exactly. I mean, I like to play um, Street Fighter, you know, the, the combat fighting game. And that is a game where you are literally looking at 100 hours of just practice to get even close to good. So, yeah, it is all it is all perspective. And here's the thing. However many, you know, minutes or hours you're reading for, the thing I really want to express to your readers is, is Juventure in China is so popular because it's just unreal how fun it is. So I think, mm-hmm. like, the thing to flag is that, you know, if you... I think the reason murder mystery dinner parties persist in the West, even though they're not necessarily that great, is because we all get that sensation that they could be really fun. Sitting in like an Agatha Christie novel should oh, yeah. be awesome. And Juvencia has just nailed that.
2: Well, Jubenture also has, has like a wide variety of, of sub-genres to choose from, from medical dramas, to slice of life stories, to quite patriotic retellings of historical events. Um, They all seem to stir powerful feelings, but how exactly has such a wide variety of, of topics and scenarios been developed in the space?
1: Yeah, so it's just because Juventure has been going for a few years now and people have started to explore. And turns out, when you have tens of thousands of shops in China all competing for business, um, mm-hmm. there immediately springs up a equally large publishing industry of people trying to do the next big thing. I uh, I don't know why this example in particular comes to mind, but I really loved hearing about um, one of the Juventure I was told about, which was a murder in a market and all the players run stalls. So maybe you sell flowers and I sell meat and someone else sells vegetables. But while we did have to solve a murder based on what our characters saw, the real winner of the game was whichever of us was the richest at the end of the investigation. (laughs) So so players have all this monopoly money, or like presumably they're like, okay, I will tell you what I know, but I do want to swap my stand's location with yours, because you've got that corner spot that I want. It's amazing. I think it's so interesting too, because
0: like that exact game setup is sort of what I tend to see in Australian murder mysteries, but it's missing that like, live action role play element which is so typically a much more niche hobby in the west what do you think the key ingredient that made that larp element of jubenture surge in mainstream popularity in china
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. This is the other thing about JuBenture that's worth talking about, is that I assumed, you know, these were really just puzzles about solving a murder. Actually, the scene might have started that way, but over the years, players have gotten more and more into um, the role-playing element and experiencing a feeling. And lots of the people I spoke about said that if you get really into JuBenture, the murder often becomes less and less important. And the role you get to inhabit and the feelings you get to feel... Become more and more important, you know? Like I was excitedly told by the owner of a Jubension Shop about a game which is about a very wealthy family where one of the player characters has a terminal disease that cannot be healed through any amount of money. Um and it's about as a as a family coming to terms with that. And then sure enough, the person told me you you end up crying. It's awesome. And like, mm. so I think and I but I do think you've you've highlighted something super Peculiar, which is, like, it's very difficult to imagine the West, you know, like, Australia's Gen Z decided to spend their Friday night going and crying together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, And I, I, you know, honestly, we start to bump up against the limits of my ability to explain exactly why that is, but... (laughs) I don't know how China got to that point, and I don't know if it's necessarily a cultural thing, but I do think that the first Juventure games taught them how fun this could be. And because Mm. it's such a craze, They've just leaned into it harder and harder and harder.
2: I guess I'm curious, once you're seeped into that that bloody bathwater of <laughs> um, I how do you continue that experience? If, because you've got to keep going uh, to these you know, professional venues or finding people to run the games for you. How important are the immersive sort of costuming and set elements to the experience and can playing at home sort of live up to those those experiences.
1: Yeah, so Juventure sometimes involves costumes and sets that you can look around. And Mm. what I actually heard, interestingly, is that those sets and costumes are actually more exciting to people who haven't played Jubentia before. You know, going and embedding yourself in Tang Dynasty China and all dressing up in period costumes is, is like what coaxes people through the door initially. But once they get into the actual game and the cracking of puzzles and the feeling of feelings, the clothes and the sets become less important and they just start to treat Juventus more like Um, a murder fan would treat the latest novel from their favorite author you know you don't need to get dressed up to enjoy the new novel by insert popular murder author here
0: (laughs) I guess I guess it's also probably kind of similar to the same thing that happens with a lot of like hardcore TRPG fans where they'll start with Dungeons and Dragons you got the battle maps you got the tabletop and eventually you slowly slip back in all the way into Apocalypse World through Blades in the Dark and off into hell without
1: maps or anything to keep you company
2: (laughs) I feel I feel like I'm very called out here
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> Honestly, that's uh. the exact journey I'm on. I uh, I do love role-playing games like uh, the, the Western-style ones, but um, yeah, I have slowly find myself less and less interested in Let's Slay a Dragon and more and more interested yeah. in why doesn't your character like me? This, You know, like, and <laughs> yeah. then improving some, like, what would otherwise be cringeworthy. I think, actually, that is something to learn about Juventure is that if you think about, um, if anyone listening to this has experience with tabletop role-playing games in the American or European style, um, then you'll find that what starts off as deeply cringe uh, (laughs) just has something so moorish about it. And the more you role-play, the more confidence you build. A table of friends will be role-playing stuff that a year ago they would never be seen dead doing. But it's just so fun feeling feelings with your friends that you learn to discard any feelings of like hesitation around it?
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, all of the homoerotic tension on this show can be stemmed back to a game of blades in the dark where I was forced (laughs) to flirt with herds, uh, various NPCs. Oh, that's great.
2: I forced (laughs) it. It was, it was on me. It, It was a whole mechanical thing. It wasn't intended until the moment happened. It was a whole thing.
1: I was playing uh, a game of um, Masks, which is a role-playing game about teenage superheroes, um, with a table of all male players. And um, let me tell you, like, if I... I I joke like, oh, you know, I really want you to kiss an NPC, that would be fun. Um, And they were like, oh, yeah. And they didn't do it, obviously. But when I had an NPC actually kiss one of them and do a whole, she just leans up and kisses you. Those four dudes started squealing like animals. They were having the best time of their (laughs) life. I don't know. I think it's just about what you're comfortable with really. And it turns out that if you can get comfortable with expressing your feelings, who knew that can be really cathartic and and (laughs) and addictive.
2: Now I have to ask, Shipbencher is a genre that requires a level of of personal investment that is unique even among these role-playing games. Uh, What challenges exist in the creation of standardized safety tools?
1: Oh, OK, yeah. So one of the curious things about China is that with tabletop role-playing games in the West, we there's been more and more examination of safety tools. And this comes out of the um, the basically repeated horror stories of people role-playing with GMs they didn't necessarily know um, over the last 30 years of role-playing game history. You know, GMs introducing, say, sexual assault into a plot line, or, or you know, like uh, children getting injured or something, which the people you're playing with, if they have something like that in their past, suddenly the game turns from being a fun exercise to something that is just miserable for them, and they can't walk away because that's part of the social contract of role-playing games. And I think a lot of people are excited to bring more English-language Juventure to your country and mine, and that's incredibly exciting. But one of the things we have to work out is that in China, Juventure have no safety tools. They have no content warnings, and they have a large... I would say they have an equal amount of sexual assault themes in them as the true crime and crime genre it, it, sort of books that we have in the West have today, but of course, with a book, you can put a book down, or you can guess. You can read the back and guess where it's going. But with role-playing games, you can't. And so, Chinese juventure having sexual assault in them, stuff that characters are actually told to experience and and sort of languish in and, and role-play and argue about. Um, but having no trigger warnings is a uh, I don't know. That mm. that is a problem to be solved before we start importing these games
0: yeah I, I think it was also really interesting that you made a comment in your report about how crime fiction has this weird sort of anything is fair game reputation because you can put the books down but also because it's like well you know we start with murder as the assumption so what could possibly be worse and we've sort of been working over the decades to, like, unpick that assumption. And it's so interesting seeing it come to a head in Juventure in that way because of the interactivity.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. You would know more than I would about the role of... So is, are there conversations now within the crime fiction community about things like trigger warnings? Yes and no. Sort in of? that yeah. the, the
0: conversations about authentic portrayals and, like, not resting on negative tropes of that sort of thing, but also you know, you you will tend to see readers on like review websites saying that it's really important for them, but that's not something that professional reviewers are engaging with or publishers are engaging with. So there's clearly Mm. in the same way that there is in Juventure, a bit of a need for something to step in and fill that gap. But that's really difficult in a space where spoilers are this thing that, you know, we can't possibly do. So if we put sensitivity warnings on the book, then Oh, that well, no, happens. Could, that could ruin the twist, right? <laughs> and it's this weird Mexican standoff between all of the priorities of the genre.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you two. Um, I sort of come to terms with like, or well, had a, I think a realization that's quite important in terms of my absorption of fiction. Where when I was, you know, like, God, I, I don't want to think about when I was a teenager, but a long time ago, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I realized that yeah, I, it, spoilers felt like such a huge thing. Knowing that the, a scene was coming up would, you know, immediately irritate me. And what I have discovered, as trigger warmings have become more common, is they don't make a story less exciting for knowing something is coming. And if anything, lots of scenes can become more exciting for being like, oh, goodness, is this a thing? Actually, one of the juventures that I played, one of the few English-language juventures in existence, which I played in my report, called Laboratory of Death by KMS Games, it had a sexual assault in it, and we flagged that with all of our players. And then it did lead to this weird cascading thing where a player... Essentially, it had a really uh, difficult sexual encounter with um, the person who was murdered. And so all the players thought, ah, oh, well, that's it, that's the sexual assault, not knowing that there was a second worst sexual assault oh, re- no. revelation coming later. So essentially,
0: we still got to have our twist and the trigger one. That's that's one of the really interesting things, and you say as much in your report, that like um, sensitivity warnings and safety tools are a mechanism to go darker because then you have a greater trust that it's not going to be a problem.
1: Yeah, I think there's one of the things that got cut from the report for time reasons um, was that... I mean, I think it's a, I think the, the can I, can I use a slightly, uh, a analogy on your By show? By all means. <laughs> okay. Bye. The way I would encourage people to think about sensitivity tools is they don't allow people to know out of discomfort. And a great way to see how that's true is if you want to do something a bit rough in the bedroom, think about how much more progress you're going to make and how much more you're going to learn and how much further you can go if you have a safe word versus if you don't. And actually, one of the sort of gotchas within the role playing community from people who don't believe safety tools are good is that famously the X card, which we're sort of moving beyond now, there are better tools like Fast Forward Rewind. Um, The X card is sort of old, like primitive technology now. Um, But the X card actually came from the kink community. That's the tabletop role playing crossover I like to see. (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, honestly, the the crossover between kink and role play and LARP is actually. It's a circle. It's just a circle. Let's not kid ourselves. It's just a circle. Great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, people who don't like trigger warnings will say, the X card came from the kink community. Don't you see? This isn't making us safer, it's making us more dangerous. And it's like, no, no, if we're talking about health and safety, I think the kink community know better than anybody. And if they've unlocked this on the tech tree, then that's awesome. We can just have it and skip the need to go through awful stuff that forces us to develop these tools ourselves.
2: You ended your investigation, your video, with a call to action for, for your audience to ignite interest in gaming markets outside of China for the thrill of jubenture. I want to know, what future do you hope to see the genre have in the global West?
1: You've asked that question in such a beautiful way, and Benjamin, I just want to play these games. They're like, <laughs> you're like you know, what, what <laughs> wonderful future will you see? It's like, I don't know, one where I can go down the street and go into a jubensha shop and mm-hmm. pick one of a hundred games. The thing, the, the picture I want to paint in your listeners' sort of Let's imagination, I'm is ready. That when you go to jubensha shops in China, you walk into these, like, glossy, clean bar-looking places, and behind the bar, are literally 100, 150 huge, beautiful box games. We're not talking about like go to an escape room and choose one of two rooms. I'm talking go to this room, talk about what themes you want, what genre you want. Do you want a romance? Do you want a horror? Do you want a mystery? Do you want something that plays more like a game show or a board game? and then they will help you subdivide that based on like, oh, and what level of experience do you have? They pick out the perfect game for you, that's what I want. I want that on my street, in my city. Yeah, screw mixing cocktails, give me give me mixing
0: boxes of Jibantia.
1: Oh, I'm here for it, I'm here for it. Um, the thing that I wasn't ready for is that video ended with, you know, a call to arms of like, let's get Jibantia mm-hmm. to the West. My inbox currently is full of about 14 well-meaning businessmen from China and America being like, let's set up a call. And it's like, oh no, I don't, I, I don't. It's no wonder you agreed to
0: talk to us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've really, I've put myself into a
0: box here. I mean, listen, I hate, I hate to do this to you, but coming to that sort of like business side of Juventure, like how much are you paying for these games? Because it's one of those things that seems like such a huge investment. The costumes, the set, the venue, the staff, the the performance. Is, Is that out of reach to have as a weekend activity for people?
1: So some Juventure are expensive. There are Juventure cruises. There are Juventure hotel experiences where you show up at a hotel in the middle of Shanxi province and then you get taken off the bus and immediately the murder begins. And those things are expensive. Then you're basically paying for some like immersive theater. But I cannot stress enough, most Juventure are just a box that you take to a room and you sit in the room and you play it with a guy. And once you divide that by the, the like, yes, you're paying for the, the GM and you're paying for the venue and you're paying for snacks. But there's six of you. So all of those costs are being divided by six people. So I think one of the reasons that youben took off for China Gen Z is that it's cheap. It is cheaper than an escape room because I mean, it or at least it can be because, you know, an escape room, you have to the people who own that venue, you have to build this, you know, cursed game show ass room, <laughs> whereas, for a Juventure, you just buy a building and make it comfortable and then you the overhead you've got is buying you know 50 60 70 botched Juventure games from a publisher but those games are you know like range from 40 to a 100 dollars each and then you know you're the I, it's cheap. It's cheap, Felix. That's what yeah, I'm saying. I mean, the
0: thing that also made more sense to me, because I'd written another more complicated question than that originally, <laughs> was <laughs> when you spoke about going to the place and having like the wall full of boxes. Where I was thinking, like, well, if you buy a box, like, how many times are you actually going to be able to play that story in that box? Whereas, oh, once, ever, for sure. Yeah, right. Whereas mm-hmm. if it's more down to the venue having a selection of them, then that starts to make a bit more sense to me.
1: Yeah. But the the culture of Jubentia, if you get really into it, is more like, Like, you have a WhatsApp group with your friends and you go, hey, that venue on the south side of town just got that new game from that new author we like. Let's go this weekend. Yeah, and I think it was also really cool, like um,
0: looking at like a GDC talk about Juventure and seeing how like costs are being brought down with like projection as opposed to set design type stuff. And you even showed like clips of Dropout TV's Dimension 20 where they have this like genre agnostic box that they play in with <laughs> the table
1: set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you could, you know, I I role play at home and all I really use is music and a bit of incense. And um sometimes not even the incense because sometimes it blows into my players' faces and they get annoyed. <laughs> you know, I think it all the costumes and sets, even the projection, all that expensive stuff is really just to get people through the door and like. <laughs> to get them using their atrophied imagination, right? And then once they get used to playing these games, you can honestly throw all that away. You can just be six people sat around a table imagining you're in World War II Australia and having the time of your life. Even so if you're you- wearing, you know, like Crocs and Hawaiian shirts and oh, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what else would you wear?
2: <laughs> so the, the presentation can be quite varied as well of, of Jubensha. Can you tell us about any interesting ways that, like, technology was used in the productions that you saw or... Heard about? Flatly,
1: Benjamin. No. (laughs) Excellent. uh, I
2: have a follow-up question to that. Are there any ways you would like to see them implemented?
1: Oh, gosh. I got a lot of emails after the piece went live with people who work in the VR space saying like, hey, this would be perfect for VR, right? Because you can put your players in a, you know, like beautiful historical wrapper. You can put them in the right clothes. They can play with Mm. people all over the world. You can translate the materials really easily. And I heard all this and I went, yeah, kind of. But the thing mm. for me about Juventure is um, so much of it is just about looking your friends in the eyes. Um, and I have worked as a technology journalist. You know, I, there are use cases for VR. I've done a video on a VR chat that I, I really enjoyed. That documentary, fantastic. Oh, thank you, Felix. Um, <laughs> it's weird, super weirdly horny things going on in VR. Let me tell you, I um, mean, listen, I, the Cronenberg I, Esque wine bottle.
0: Yes, the Cronenberg
1: yeah. Esque style predator <laughs> oh, phrase has been burned into my memory. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, you <laughs> two are so sweet. Um, yeah. So, but I think Jubenta really are about nothing more or less than having a great excuse to sit down and you know, look your friends in the eye and tell him that you are, you know, like divorcing him because he murdered your sister. Like that's, that's what I'm here for. Oh yes, absolutely. I love it.
0: And I sort of love that idea too, that because according to the Dicebreaker article that you quote, Um, a lot of this could be brought back to the French game Death Wears White, that someday soon we may have the full circle moment of a French Juventure recreating Death Wears White back in the West.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be cool. I think the whole Juventure story is uh, just really revealing of how wonderfully culture can be absorbed and then spat back out in a different shape. Like, you know, you've got Murder Mystery Dinner Party that becomes this French board game that becomes a Korean reality show that becomes a Chinese generation-defining sensation, and now we in the West are looking at China going, hang on, that looks fun as balls. Can we have some of that? And it's like, it came from us,
0: kinda, but also not. Absolutely. And I mean, for us in the murder mystery space too, it was so interesting seeing how much of the way these games are set up is inspired by uh, Honkaku, Henkaku and Shin Honkaku Japanese mysteries, Mm. which are starting to have their own burgeoning Mm. translation scene in the West.
1: Is that um, the fair play mystery stuff?
0: Yes hugely like awesome to see all of these cultural crossovers happening at once and I, I love that
1: yeah it's so cool
0: anyway Quinns, thank you so much for joining us on Death of the Reader this has been such a treat and it was so awesome as we were getting into interactive mystery seeing this report of yours pop up and going I know the guy <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so
1: much for watching uh, I really really appreciate it you see this has been a blast if you
0: are unfamiliar with Quinns work with people make games shut up and sit down or his new tabletop roleplay channel Quinns Quest which he's so allergic to self-promotion he didn't even mention it to us until after the interview despite the perfect opportunity we will have links up on the podcast and you should absolutely go make yourself familiar Quinn's work is amazing and he has quite the cast of co-conspirators thanks for joining us here on the death of the reader podcast we'll catch you around